Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Do you have money sitting in the stock market and you're worried about it? Or worse, you have money sitting at the bank, not keeping up with inflation? My name is Charles Carrillo, founder and managing partner of Harborside Partners. And since 2006, I've been investing my money and my family's money into income-producing properties. These are real assets, real properties with real addresses that produce real cash flow. At Harborside Partners, we provide passive investors who love real estate with a turnkey investing solution. If you want to put your money to work in real estate but can't find deals, don't have the time to get funding, and the last thing that productive people want to do is manage real estate. We find the deals, we fund the deals, and we manage the tenants, the termites, and the properties. Partner with us at investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Go to investwithharborside.com. If you love real estate, you like the idea of passive income, and believe that income-producing properties will appreciate over time, go to investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today, we have Joel Fine. He's a full-time real estate investor and land developer based in Austin, Texas, a general partner in 1,200 doors, and a limited partner in over 15,000 doors. Joel is also the principal in a ground-up development project spanning 157 acres in the greater Austin area. So thanks so much for coming on today, Joel. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. So tell us a little bit about your background, both uh, personally and professionally, prior to being involved in uh, real estate investing. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, if we go way back in the in the time machine, I, I studied engineering in college uh, and worked for uh, high tech companies for several years after college as an engineer, uh, moved into uh, management uh, and then program management, also in engineering at high tech companies, uh, worked and lived in Silicon Valley for many years. Uh, and really just focused on my career and my family. Uh, real estate for me was only, hey, you know, I, I need a house to live in, so that's real estate. Uh, didn't really look to it as an investment, uh, especially since I was living in Silicon Valley. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, most of California really doesn't cash flow. The, the numbers just don't really work for cash flowing investments. So, put my money mostly into the stock market, and uh, you know, just heads down on a career. Um, so that's that's my background uh, before real estate. So why did you choose uh, real estate as an investment vehicle? You're being out in Silicon Valley. There's a lot of other assets to invest into. What attracted you to that asset class? Yeah, so kind of a funny story. Uh, my wife and I decided uh, maybe five or six years ago that it was time to move out of California. And we chose Austin as our destination. Nice. Couldn't move just yet. We still had one of our kids in high school. And uh, just for one reason or another, we, we, we knew we wouldn't be able to move for a little while. So we decided to invest in a a rental property in Austin, mm-hmm. uh, kind of as a as a hedge in case something crazy happened with either the real estate market where we lived or in the real estate market in Austin that would make it difficult to make that move. So we invested in a single family house. Uh, you uh, deployed it as a rental property, put a long term tenant in it, um, and uh, that house for me was kind of the gateway drug to real estate. Um, you know, as I was studying real estate in a, as an investment. One of the big revelations for me was that uh, a lot of real estate markets are are really different from California in fundamental ways. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned earlier, you know, there's no cash flow in California, or really hard to find cash flow, uh, but that's just not true in other markets. And I, I just never 
uh, kind of explored real estate enough to discover that until I uh, decided to buy that house in Austin. Found out that, hey, you can buy a property for, uh, let's say, $300,000 to get you a pretty nice house in the Austin area. And you can rent it out for a substantial fraction of that uh, and, uh, you know, cash flow uh, uh, while, while you wait for the property to appreciate. And so I started studying not just the Austin market, but other markets across the U.S., uh, decided to make a few more investments in a uh, high cash flow in, uh, uh, market in uh, Ohio, bought some duplexes, triplexes, and quads, uh, built up a portfolio about, I think, 35 or 40 doors at mm -hmm. that point. Uh, at the same time, I was attending real estate uh, webinars and meetups and meeting lots of people in business, uh, learned about the syndication model where people uh, gather uh, groups of investors together to buy larger commercial assets, got into that in a passive way, uh, invested in several deals uh, as a limited partner, uh, deals that other people that I knew were, were running, were general partners on, and uh, over time decided that that was a really interesting and, and um, uh, positive model for uh, expanding my scope, for, for scaling up into larger assets. So gradually shifted my focus from the smaller stuff that I was buying, the two, the two three, and four units up to the, the larger apartment complexes, went into multifamily. Um, so uh, that transition happened maybe a couple, three years ago, where I started looking at doing deals as a general partner. I uh, found other folks who had more experience than me and signed on with them uh, first as a, as a key principal. I can explain what that what that means if your if your viewers might not know that. Sure. Uh, but then when when it went on and and uh, 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 became a general partner in several deals. Great, great. Oh uh, yeah, well, can you explain what a key principle is? Yeah, sure. So a key principle is uh, uh, basically, but with commercial financing, the the lender is going to want to have people signing on the loan whose uh, net worth adds up to an amount that's greater than the loan amount. So if you're buying a property, let's say for ten million dollars getting a loan for 7 million, just round numbers. Uh, the lender wants to see the signers on the loan have a net worth combined of, of $7 million or more. Uh, a lot of general partners don't have substantial net worths or, or at least not yet. And so they look for other folks to sign the loan, but otherwise not be involved in the deal, not be uh, decision makers or, or active asset managers who have substantial net worth or who, who believe that the, the investment is, is a worthy one and are willing to put their uh, their net worth on the line uh, to invest in it. And in exchange, typically the the signer, the key principal, will get a, a piece of the deal, and and that will vary substantially from one deal to the next. Uh, but that's a way that both group both parties can bring value to each other. As a key principal, I'm bringing value by signing on the loan and helping the transaction to close, and my partners are bringing value by giving me a piece of the deal. Yeah. And that key principle, if the deal doesn't go as planned, uh, that lender might step in and have that key principle take out some of the general partners and kind of put you in charge of running it since you're the person that had the money that signed. So it is a it's a great cash flow option. It's a great way of building wealth uh, without doing all the work. But there's also, you know, they have to really vet who they're working with as well. So, yeah, absolutely. And the key principle is taking on some risk because mm -hmm. you know, signing on a loan isn't a trivial thing. Uh, if, yeah. if things do go sideways, the key principle is potentially at risk for the loan. So, um, you know, as a key principle, I wanted to do my due diligence on the general partners, on the deals, on the markets and so forth. So, um, you know, it's something I went into with a lot of thought, uh, but it, it's a, it was a way for me to connect with general partners and become uh, more involved in deals than just as a limited partner, as a passive investor. 
So Joel, I see uh, on your website, you guys have acquisitions. You're doing a huge development project uh, in greater Austin area. Um, what is your current investment criteria and strategy where we are right now in the market? Yeah, so I've, I've shifted my focus over time. Uh, initially, I was doing all value-add multifamily. Uh, and uh, I've connected up with some folks who do development and found that to be a really interesting diversification play. Um, and also just it, it's development is... It's got different challenges and, and it's kind of fun, actually. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm involved in, in several different development projects. Uh, most of them are in the Austin area. There's one uh, up north, uh, closer to Waco, uh, which is about an hour and a half north of Austin. But um, and, it, and it's a variety. We're, we're working on uh, one large multifamily asset uh, that's going to be over 300 doors, uh, ground up development, where we've got a 37-acre uh, residential subdivision that we're just going to carve up into lots, put in roads and utilities, and then sell those lots off to builders, let the builders take out it from there. Uh, we're working on a 20-acre townhome development project uh, in, in a town called Lockhart, which is about half an hour south of Austin. Um, and then uh, most recently, the one in Waco is a, a large master plan community. We're working out the, the land plan now to figure out what's the highest and best use of the land. Um, so doing a mix of, of value-add multifamily and development deals now. Uh, and in fact, more recently, uh, I, it probably isn't on the bio that I sent you because it's very recent. Uh, I've, I've uh, started doing my first Airbnb. So that house that I bought five years ago uh, in the Austin area as that initial investment had a long-term tenant in it for about four years. That, that tenant left and we decided to switch it to a, a short-term rental Airbnb model. So we just did a, re a major remodel on it, uh, furnished it, and now I have it listed on, on Airbnb. So, so just another way for me to diversify and, and get another income stream going. Interesting. So tell us about some of the some of the different challenges that um, you're now uh, you're you're now getting from being in construction versus when you were in value add. Yeah. So construction is very different in a lot of ways. Uh, I we're we're raising money from uh, limited partners on the construction side to. Uh, but I make sure to tell my investors that it's it's a it's, it's a risky proposition. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of variability to the outcome, um, and we're we're making a lot of predictions about the future in terms of um, you know not just the cost of doing the development and how that development will go, but what the demand will look like when we're done. Um, you know these developments are multi-year projects, two to three years from the time we acquire the land to the time we expect to have you know tenants in. Um, in, in buildings. And over that time, a lot can happen. You know, as we saw in 2022, uh, that was a pretty eventful year on a real estate perspective with interest rates spiking um, in an unprecedented fashion. So, so there's, there's a lot of risks that can go with development. Um, but, uh, but it's, it's a really interesting process because you get to uh, explore some degrees of freedom that you don't with value add multifamily value, value add multifamily. You really, you, you know, the product you've got, you may be improving it in some way, but really the improvements are are limited to mostly cosmetic stuff. You know, maybe you're fixing a roof or doing a parking lot, but mostly it's you're making the place look nicer. But if you've got, let's say, 52 bedrooms and 51 bedrooms, you're really not going to change that. That's what you've got at the beginning. That's what you have at the end. Um, and so your range of motion, your the, the kinds of outcomes you can have are very, very limited. Uh, whereas with development, you know, we're looking at a bare piece of land. Uh, one of the pro projects we're working on, we thought about doing a retail strip center on a piece of that land, 
explored that from a market perspective, decided that the road frontage really wasn't suitable for retail. And so we switched to multifamily. So the, the use of the land changed in a very fundamental way um, early in the project. And, and so the, the range of outcomes uh, can really vary widely. And likewise, the range of possible returns on investment can, can range very widely. Um, you know, things don't go well, investors can lose their money. And I make sure that it's, it's clear to people up front uh, as they're investing that that's a, that's a potential outcome. Obviously, we, we try our best to avoid that. We underwrite very carefully to uh, anticipate possible problems and um, you know, hitches in the process um, so that we don't lose our investors' money. We like to make them money. Uh, but we we like to make it clear that this you know there's these are not risk free investments. So with the impact uh, you mentioned inflation or rising interest rates, but the impact uh, what is the impact really of the inflation and rising interest rates where we are now, um, and how does your firm really, I guess, mitigate risk when doing development deals? Because like as you mentioned, three four years plus from the time that something's you know you see the the land to the time that it might actually have tenants in there paying. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's a great and relevant question because that's exactly what happened in 2022. And so, you know, we, we very carefully underwrite. We try to anticipate, um, I wouldn't call them worst case scenarios because you just never know what the worst case is, but we try to uh, anticipate a, a range of possible scenarios of interest rates and inflation and changes in market demand and market conditions uh, so that even if things don't go particularly well, even if, if a few things go very badly, um, we can still uh, make a decent return on our investment. And if things do go well, if, if conditions are better than we expect, then you know we'll, we'll all make more money and be perfectly happy with that. Um, so in particular with inflation and interest rates, uh, there's kind of offsetting effects there actually, because uh, as inflation increases, uh, the tendency is that rents will also increase. Um, there's also a little bit of a tendency for uh, potential homeowners, let's say first-time buyers who want to get into the real estate market to be priced out. And so they end up having to rent instead of buy a home. And so you could potentially get increases in demand for rental properties as a result of increasing inflation. So that can somewhat offset the effects, let's say, of uh, inflation's um, uh, increase in development costs. You know, wood goes up, uh, metal, uh, electrical conduit, pipes, those all go up in price. And so the development, the cost of development can also increase. And so those, those can offset one another. Uh, again, we, you know, we try to underwrite for uh, what we consider to be a fairly conservative scenario so that we can anticipate the possibility of, uh, you know, things not going to plan. Interesting. So you're a passive investor in 15,000 plus doors. And uh, what what key factors should passive investors consider when evaluating a ground up multifamily project? Maybe they've never invested in one. Maybe they're not. You know, I, I talk to a lot of LPs, and it's really they're waiting for you know a quarter or two quarters till they get their first distribution on a value add deal, and that's really what they're waiting for. I have other ones that aren't as worried about that. So, how are you presenting? And like, how should a passive investor really consider and evaluate a ground up deal if they've never done one before? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, first off, yeah, you point out a, a, a very relevant fact uh, when people are deciding between different classes of, of asset. Uh, with ground up development, you're not going to get cash flow. Um, you know, you're, you're spending two to three to four years putting money into the project to buy the land, 
uh, entitle the land, uh, get permits, and then of course do the construction itself, which is you know can be hugely expensive. And so there's no money coming in. There's no tenants. There's no renters. There's no cash flow. And so we like to make sure that is another expectation we set very clearly with our investors is, hey, if, if you're relying on cash flow, if you're, if you're relying on this investment for current income, then ground up development probably isn't for you. Mm-hmm. But if it's money that you can put away for a relatively long time and you're okay with no cash flow, but the potential of a, of a nice big equity pop at the end, um, then you can consider this. Uh, and and we we also tell people you know make sure make sure this isn't your only investment, make sure you're diversified in other things, so that uh, like I said this is not a risk free investment. So if things don't go well, it's not your whole net worth that's at mm-hmm. risk. It's a, a, a fraction of your net worth, and hopefully other investments can make up for it. Uh, but it can be a, a, a nice supplement to uh, an otherwise uh, healthy portfolio. Um, so so that's that's among the considerations I, I make sure that people are aware of is that. Hey, don't anticipate any cash flow. Uh, the other thing is, uh, uh, just as with value add multifamily, but maybe even more so, the timeline is uncertain. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we project out what it'll take to do the acquisition, entitlement, and build. But things can happen along the way that not only affect the costs and the financial returns, but also the timeline. Um, for example, uh, on the multifamily project we're doing in Austin, uh, we learned a few months ago, not not that recently, but somewhat recently, that uh, one of the agencies that's going to review an element of our plan called the traffic impact analysis um, is backed up and is going to take several months to provide feedback. And we need to go back and forth with this agency a couple of times because it's likely they'll that their feedback will require us to make some changes to our, our plan and go back for more feedback. So mm-hmm. this traffic impact analysis you know, when we're adding multifamily, we're adding 300 uh, families to a, an area that didn't have those families before. And so the folks who are responsible for maintaining roads and figuring out how many lanes each road should have and where the turn lane should be and traffic lights and so forth, they want to know this so that they can figure out what, what their plans need to be uh, and whether they, we need to partner with them to improve any roads. There's a lot that goes into these traffic impact analyses. And so um, when we do one, uh, you know, it's an, it's an essential element of getting permission to build what we want to build. And, and so the fact that these folks are backed up in this government agency has an impact on our shovel ready date and then over our overall schedule when, when we think that the asset will be ready to deploy. So that's one of the risks we're facing is, hey, you just don't know what the timeline is going to be. Uh, you can pre- predict based on past experience, but there's uncertainty there and we've got to anticipate that uncertainty. Yeah. I had a developer friend of mine that would say that uh, development in real estate is like the venture capital of real estate. So, you know, higher potential, higher returns, but there's more risk. So as you said, it's a great way of supplementing your portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, you're doing multiple deals. You're doing a huge 160 acre deal in Austin, Texas now development. You're partnering with co-sponsors, I imagine, to do these deals. I mean, how do you build trust with your partners uh, to handle different parts of different deals that your group is working on? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, my partners and I, I, I'm partnered up with different sets of people, depending on which project you're talking about. And so the the partners that I'm working with, I've gotten to know over the years since I moved to Austin um, a few years ago. And, uh, you know, first we might connect, let's say at a meetup or over coffee or something and just sort of chat and get to know each other. Uh, you know, we, we share past experiences or track records 
Uh, maybe we'll work together on something where there's relatively little risk. Uh, there's a couple of deals I did early on where I was a relatively minor partner in the in the deal. Um, you know, for the first deal I did as a GP, um, I really wasn't uh, doing a whole lot for the deal. I raised a little bit of capital. I sat in on meetings with property managers, uh, but I wasn't a, a major decision maker. I was really just a bit player. And so that was a way, a way for me to connect with that, that general partner, that investor, uh, and work together on a relatively limited basis, almost like a, I don't know if you call it an internship, but you know, I was I was kind of interning under him, learning the ropes, learning about asset management and so forth. And so that helped me get to know him, helped him get to know me. Uh, in that process, I connected with other general partners who were also involved in that deal. And it sort of branched out from there. So over time, we just, you know, people get to know each other, they, they become aware of one another in, in the in the community. Uh, it's a relatively small community of people, uh, especially in the Austin area, folks who are who are working on on significant sized um, multifamily deals, whether on the on the value add side or the development side. So people just get to know each other and get to know their track records. And you know, that's how you develop trust. What are common mistakes you'd see real estate investors make, Joel? Well, so I think the two fundamental mistakes that I made, I, I, I don't know if I'd call them mistakes as opposed to limiting beliefs. But the, the the things I had to overcome to get into real estate investing and really understand it was uh, one was not all markets are the same. So as, as I said earlier, I'd lived in California and just sort of leapt to this invalid assumption that all markets are like California. So, you know, I'd, I wanted I wanted cash flow. So um, didn't didn't think real estate was interesting to me. And so when I discovered that different real estate markets acted differently, had different numbers, that was a revelation and helped me to really break through that barrier. Uh, the other limiting belief I had was that whatever I do, I have to do on my own. So if I'm going to buy a property, I've got to come up with a down payment. I've got to be able to make that that um, the loan payment. I've got to be able to manage it. Um, you know, I just had this image of myself doing these deals by myself. And that also is just fundamentally invalid, uh, especially with the syndication model. Uh, you know, I'm partnered up with 20, 30, 50 people on a deal. Uh, some of whom are general partners making the decisions, not all of them. You know, they can't have 50 people in a committee making decisions, but you can have four or five with the rest passive investors. And that was also a revelation to me, a, a great learning to discover and understand the syndication model. You know, lots of folks have, have tons of experience in syndication and it's sort of old hat to them. But when I was first getting into it, um, you know, it was really a, a discovery for me to say, hey, I, I can get into commercial real estate. Um, with relatively little of my own money in by doing this thing, by partnering up with people, by adding value to partnerships, uh, maybe doing the work, finding the deals and so forth. So those were the two limiting beliefs I had that once I overcame them really helped me to move forward in my real estate investing career. Great. So how has your relationship towards money changed over the years? Well, that's a good question. Um, I've always had a perspective of uh, deferred gratification. Mm. I, I like saving money and not spending it. I like seeing my my bank balances increase over time. Uh, and I love the time value of money, you know, knowing that if I put money into a, a decent investment and leave it alone for a while, it, it can potentially grow and become a bigger piece of money that I can then roll into a, another investment. And eventually, if I decide to, I can take it back out and spend it on something that um, entertains me or, or gives me pleasure. Uh, but in the meantime, I, I really like 
uh, I like saving and I like to, you know, delaying gratification on the money that, I, that I'm saving. So that's just always been the case for me. Um, I guess really what's changed over time for me is, is the kinds of assets I go into. Um, you know, early on, I was investing on almost entirely in stocks, mostly in index funds. You know, I'd put money into a, let's say an S&P 500 index fund and those do well, you know, there's uh, over, over long periods of time, stocks generally return about 10 or 11%. Uh, minus inflation. But once I discovered real estate and discovered, you know, how I can use that to my advantage um, to get both cash flow and appreciation, uh, that really changed my perspective and, and changed how I wanted to allocate my my savings and, and my my assets. Yeah. And the, the tax tax of a little bit more tax efficient with real estate as well. Mm -hmm. um, Good point. Yeah. What do you think are the main factors that have contributed to your success over the years? Well, let's see. I think being willing to partner up has really changed, um, you know, my ability to scale up and and do different and bigger deals. Uh, again, my one of my limiting beliefs was I got to do everything on my own, and so once I figured out that hey, that's not the case, I can partner up with people in different ways. Um, that really opened a lot of doors, opened a lot of uh, potential investment opportunities to me, and so that's been I think the most fundamental way in which I've. Um, you know, change my trajectory is, is by partnering up with people. So how can our listeners learn more about you, your business and the uh, exciting uh, development projects you have going on, Joel? Oh, thanks for asking. So yeah, I've got a, a website, lakelineproperties.com. That's L-A-K-E-L-I-N-E, lakelineproperties.com, where people can go and, and you know, check out my, my portfolio, my experience, a uh, little bit about what the, what, what things I'm getting into. Um, they can also email me directly, joel at lakelineproperties.com. Happy to chat with people. Always looking to partner up with more people on, on different deals. Um, so that'd be the best way for people to reach me is, is either go to my website or, or drop me an email. Well, thanks so much for coming on today, Joel. A great time and looking forward to connecting with you here in the near future. Fantastic. I appreciate you having me. Hi, guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.